You're listening to the Media People Podcast, the show where we learn about the people who make up the media industry to find out where they started, where they are now, and the stories in between. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, go to soundcloud.com slash Podcast. Views expressed by participants are personal. Today, we're very proud to have Sonia Carino, the president of the Interactive Advertising Bureau of Canada, join us. A veteran of the digital media industry, in part one of our chat, Sonia discusses life growing up in Northern Ontario and Europe, her time at International Management Group, and what it's like being part of the digital media industry leading up to the dot-com bubble of 2000. Come back next week for part two of our interview, where we'll discuss Sonia's time with the DAC Group and how the opportunity with the IAB Canada came about. We'll also get a peek into some of the things Sonia is looking to accomplish during her tenure as president. Sonia, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for showing the interest. Uh, let's go right back to the beginning. Uh, where were you from? I was actually from Wawa, Ontario. Some people know it as the Big Goose in Ontario, uh, in the north, and that's on Lake Simcoe or Lake Superior. I had to Google that. Uh, it's a pretty small town. Only about twenty nine hundred people, according to Wikipedia. And even less in the 70s. And, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like the halfway point. I guess if you were going through Thunder, going to Thunder Bay and you cut through Sault Ste. Marie, you'd have to go through Wawa to get there. That's right. It's very important. Uh, tell us what life was like growing up in Wawa, Ontario, I guess in the 70s. Well, I guess, you know, I, it wouldn't be fair to say that I spent a lot of time there. So I, I spent my toddler years there and then uh, our family moved to Europe uh, for a couple of years while I was fairly young. And then from Europe, we just actually moved uh, straight to Toronto. Where were in Europe were you from or where were you living, I should say? So uh, my dad is Spanish and my mom was German. And so both of them uh, have, uh, you know, they when they came to Canada, they uh, basically never really unpacked their bags. They were always antsy and always wanting to go back home to meet with their, you know, relatives and, and, uh, and basically spend time at home. And, and I was part of that reality. So I was, you know, basically a piece of the luggage that they would take back and forth, my siblings and I. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time there. So is it safe to say you're also fluent in both German and Spanish? That's right. Oh, that, that's a great thing to have. Where did you prefer living? You don't have to answer this. Spain or Germany? I've been to both places and they're, they're both very charming in their own respects. I love both. So I love I really, really love both countries. Uh, I feel uh, more at home in Germany. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that it was my mother tongue. Um, but I also love Spain. So in terms of, you know, when I when I see myself vacationing and, and spending extended periods of time in Europe, I can see myself on the coast of Spain. And, um, and just I love the country for that. But in Germany, I just... I, I like being there because it just feels like everything works. And what kind of perspective of the world did this give you at such a young age? Well, I, I think at a young age, I learned that uh, definitely that there's just different perspectives uh, that need to be respected. And I think that there's it also probably taught me a lot of tolerance that um, would probably be subconscious you know, subconscious learnings just, uh, you know, on cultural sensitivity and, and, you know, the fact that things are done differently in different countries and, and by different cultures. Um, I think that it taught me, you know, the, the obvious, the languages, and, you know, to learn the value also of, uh, of growing up with, with cultural, you know, the arts and, and literature in those respective countries can add a whole tapestry of, of, 
you know, difference, I guess, or, or individuality to a person. So I, I think that, you know, it's, it's just, I feel, I feel very fortunate. So speaking a little bit of literature, uh, you've mentioned that you'd say two of your influences outside of your mother, who you cite as being uh, very heavy and influencing you growing up and being a role model for you. You also cite uh, Margaret Lawrence and Agatha Christie. (laughs) What attracted you to, to those two authors? Well, I think those two, uh, first of all, you know, Agatha Christie is just such a genius in, in my mind, you know, the, the, to have the ability to, to deconstruct a crime, um, and add such a a drama and such a, a, a person, a personality to a story, I think is, is incredible. You know, the, the science behind crime and then mixing that with, with, uh, with, with character and psychology, I think is, is fascinating. Um, so I think Agatha Christie was was just one of my heroes when it came to just downright smarts and, and intellect. And then when I started to read Margaret Lawrence when I was in my uh, high school years, and Margaret Lawrence to me was just also capturing very subtle parts of life um, and in very interesting ways. And, and I think that I was really connected to, you know, certainly her, her work as a, you know, the masterpiece of the diviners, but, um, the stone angel really appealed to me. And, uh, and this idea of seeing the world and life from the perspective of somebody in a certain uh, phase of their lives. And in this case, the stone angel was a a woman in her eighties. I just made a real connection with it. And I really became to, or I came to appreciate, um, just seniors around us every day. Okay. Important. So you'd say you're a sucker for a great narrative. I'm a sucker for a great narrative. I'm a sucker for really great characters. And, um, and I, I think, you know, the whole, I love the human, I love human behavior. And so people who can delve so deeply into the psyche and, uh, and write eloquently as well. I think that's the appeal to me. That is a difficult thing to do. And it's no surprise you've mentioned that, uh, English was your forte in high school. That's what you really settled on, that in literature. Uh, but you did find your way towards media through a senior class. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you kind of got that bug? Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, I, I am a sucker for, for literature, and I was uh, drawn to taking as many English and literature courses as I could, and I stumbled upon a class that was all about media. And at the time, you know, media in that at that age really has a number or had a had multiple meanings to it so you know the media as in you know outdoor and signage and all those things but then also propaganda and the 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 art of persuasion and to me uh learning about those those skills and learning that that you know this is going on on a day-to-day basis we're exposed to this kind of thing do you mean like the marshall day? McLuhan type theories yeah, like totally. hot and cold media things like totally, that totally yeah that and and george orwell i mean we we still we went into a lot of different uh you know the, the different kinds of kinds of media and different kinds of uh you know mediums and uh and so for me i found that very very interesting and i really uh, became inspired to follow through with that and and pay attention to it and so I, I started to deconstruct every uh, commercial that I saw and every time I saw an ad I, I kind of slowed it down a little bit and thought about who crafted that and who and and why and what would the brief you know in, in you know now having been in the industry for for quite a while I kind of thought more about you know what's the brief behind that ad and mm-hmm. uh, who got into my head like that that type of thing. 
And after you left high school and you had the media bug, uh, you first went to Georgian College, was it in Barrie? Yeah. And what did you study there? So I started in uh, in tourism, thinking that tourism was going to be my thing. And then uh, I pretty quickly realized that that was just not going to be my thing. And, you know, the, the idea of, you know, sending people on vacations and making sure that they were having a good time was just not, <laughs> I, I, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. And so then I switched to, to marketing courses because when I was doing, um, you know, tourism studies originally, what I really liked was the business of it, the organization of, uh, you know, finances and of, uh, of marketing and all the different aspects of running a business, which has always been appealing to me, even, you know, as a kid, um, you know, playing store. So, so I, I just naturally gravitated towards the marketing program and, and that's where I settled in marketing and then started to get involved with the advertising program. And really when I was in advertising, I, I, I felt like I finally found my home. And that was at both Georgian and Humber? Because I'm pretty sure there was, creative, there was creative writing in there too, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And, and creative writing was more at Humber. And that was all about, you know, the again, crafting the art of persuasion, creative writing, creative storytelling, uh, building characters. So getting into the, the very specific skills of writing, which I really enjoyed. It's crazy to think that those two programs, or at least facets of them, weren't hand-in-hand within each other, at least creative writing within Humber. Because with content marketing being the buzzword of the last year, or so, you'd really want to see good creative writers uh, within that program, or at least coming out with uh, what it was we've been discussing. But after you wrapped up college, uh, what would you say was your first media gig? So interesting question. My my first media gig, I, I'll say, I'll just go back to what my first gig was in in you know in the marketing industry, and that was sports marketing. So I was at IMG International Management Group, and oh, they're a behemoth. Um, they do everything. They really do. And uh, you know the the job that I sort of landed uh, was about a little bit about event coordination, but but not really much. I was you know, and I was fairly young and and you know wild and free at the time. So you know. I was, you know, I would help with events, uh, but what really was fascinating to me was the uh, the broadcast side, and so I worked alongside, you know, some of the smartest people in, in broadcasting at the time. The the uh, specialty channels were coming about in Canada, so it's so, like basically premium cable was you have thirty five channels possibly. You get TSN and much music and maybe something else, right? And so suddenly there was going to be a whole onslaught of, uh, you know, oh, the the outdoor channels and all sorts of specialty cable was was going to. Uh, uh, be released, and all of those channels were going to need some Canadian content because the CRTC was fairly mm. strict about that. And so uh, the work at IMG was largely about uh, packaging historical uh, and vintage uh, video content uh, to provide those specialty channels with a with a case to to actually launch okay. and the ability to launch. So that was very interesting, and, and also learning about uh, rights negotiations and learning about you know the the value, you know, one, my favorite, my favorite job was one day when my boss asked me to figure out what the value was of the NHL in terms of commercial value. And so, you know, that you can imagine that that's, 
that's kind of a dream job for a lot of people I know. It's a dream job, but it's also a daunting question to answer. You're assigning value to not just a league, but a cultural icon, something that's big and passionate to a whole bunch of Canadians. What are companies willing to spend for just 15 or 30 seconds? Uh, But um, outside of your time at IMG, uh, you also had the entrepreneurial bug. You you went into business for yourself, going back to what you just said a couple minutes ago about playing store. Uh, Tell us a bit about Passage Communications. Yeah, so Passage Communications, I, I, I love using the word launch, even though I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I started Passage Communications uh, in my early 20s, and I was working with local businesses and helping them to make their really small media budgets work. And so whether that meant showing them what they could do locally or what they could do in print or um, in newspapers or, or in, in, in you know flyers, packaging, whatever it was, uh, I was giving them consultative uh, advice. And then also, um, in some cases, helping with logo creation and, and, and design. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, and it was kind of ironic when you follow the career path, uh, I didn't realize how valuable that experience will later, would later be. Well, we could use the term startup for it, couldn't we? Well, you could, you could. And, you know, at the time, yeah, there weren't very many businesses or, you know, nobody was catering to the local business person. And they were, they were inundated every day with, you know, these, these small, uh, small-time sales representatives coming in, asking them to advertise in, you know, church bulletins or in, in magazines. They didn't really have the concept of, a, of an agent or an agency working on their behalf. I, you know what? I did local sales for a bit uh, a couple jobs ago. Actually, between my time at Rogers and Astral, I did local sales. And you go in and speak to someone, they say, I have 10000 to spend. And then you start to go in and talk about GRPs and CPMs, and they're looking at you like, what does that mean? Can't right. you just put my commercial on television and right. things like that? So I guess you were being really uh, more of a mentor or a consultant to them, helping them understand what their money's going, what the currencies were, the metrics and everything like that. That's right. They needed some advocacy and, and that's the kind of the role that I played. But then as that moved on, uh, you left IMG and you moved over to Mediacom, was it? Yeah, I, I moved on. It was called Media Buying Services at the time. Oh, God, MBS. There's yeah. something I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, and I remember, uh, you know, ta- telling my mentor when I was re- resigning from IMG, and um, Peter Sizem was my was my boss and, and mentor um, for my four years at IMG, and I remember him distinctly him looking out the window saying, are you... Are you sure you want to do this? Do you want to leave IMG? And and uh, and I, I was convinced that it was the right thing to do. And you know, I took a massive pay cut. I think I took like a fifty percent pay cut, um, and moved back in with my parents, um, all on this this bizarre whim of learning myself up on media. What did you see in the role that they had presented to you at Mediacom? Because taking a 50% pay cut, moving back in with your parents, there must have been something you saw. I don't know. I think it was learning. You know, email was just, you know, <laughs> email had just launched. And, <laughs> and you know, people were just starting to go digital. And, and I remember uh, talking, you know, at IMG about you know, having athletes have their own profile pages and our events having web pages and things like that. But it was so early days still, and there wasn't much movement. And I figured that maybe a media company uh, would be a faster route towards getting access to what digital was having to offer. And I, I was very interested in computers from the time that I was, you know, fairly young. So, um, so I kind of, I was, I was naturally attracted to the potential 
of being exposed to more digital experiences there. So what kind of things did you do there? Give us a bit of a picture or some insight into what the early stages of digital look like in the agency world? Yeah, so uh, so that was exciting. When I first started at MBS, given the, the fact that I had these years at IMG, uh, the notion of having, you know, some sort of uh, uh, larger barter deals with media uh, companies and media providers was appealing to the management at MBS. And so they uh, kind of, you know, gave me a lot of freedom to go out and explore the digital landscape. And so that led me to having meetings with you know um, people like uh, DoubleClick that had just come into into Canada. And this is way before Google had bought them. That's right. I don't Click think there through. even was a Google at that point. There was no Google, and uh, ClickThrough Interactive was another one. So these were all media networks that were sort of existing, whether they were U.S. based and just had Canadian representation or not. And I remember having conversations with people about you know the, this this amazing light bulb going off in my head, thinking, this is this is like financial services. This is like, you know, a portfolio. You take an investment and you, you're you creating a, almost a financial portfolio for people. You're investing a little bit here, a little bit there, um, and and then optimizing with all these really cool tools that are, uh, well, at the time, that were Excel, right? But, uh, but, you know, whatever. It was still groundbreaking. And so these conversations led to, um, you know, the opportunity to educate people that were also at MBS that were tr- doing, you know, still doing traditional advertising. You know, our, our new media group, Group consisted of people who were exploring like elevator ads and hot air balloon ads, right? So it was like you, you had know. wait, you had hot air balloon ads. Well, yeah, That's I mean, like, yeah, I mean, well, but that was the definition. Nobody really knew what new media was, and so there was, you know, there, there nobody, you know, used the term new media for digital until much later. Okay, uh, and then after you left MediaCom, you went over to the DAC Group and tell us about your time there because you were there for about five years. Six well, years? actually, before uh, before oh, I went geez, to there the, was something in between. That's I got right, and which was critical. So, so what happened was I was recruited because of all this, com- all these conversations that were happening in the digital space. Um, you know, you recall at the time this was like '97, so there was you know, maybe, maybe 50 to 100 people in Toronto that were working on digital stuff um, at the time. And so I was recruited to work at Modem Media, Poppy Tyson, which was an off-spin of FCB at the time, Northern Interactive, or uh, Northern, Northern Interactive, I think it was called. Um, And so uh, I was their media director, and I was there for about four and a half years, and that was incredible incredible experience. So I was working with some of the sharpest minds, I think, in the world um, when I looked at the global assets that we had in the UK as well as uh, New, uh, New York, Connecticut. And we did some really, really cool stuff for big clients like Coca-Cola, General Motors, um, and and some of the, the key banks in Canada. And so uh, the, that experience was... Uh, you know, second to none in terms of, you know, getting exposure to startups, getting exposure to things in the digital space that needed to be tackled that weren't even invented yet. I remember one day sitting in a boardroom and somebody was like, do you think maybe people will will care if we have information about them? 
right? So it's like, you know, oh, privacy. Privacy before privacy, privacy was even an yeah, issue. Yeah, it was kind of a, you know, oh, maybe we should talk to a lawyer. Maybe we should get into that issue a little bit more, right? So it, we had, you know, we had the opportunity and, and the inc- incredible luck, uh, you know, as a group of, of uh, people working at Modem to get exposure to, to some really cool uh, first-time conversations that led to a lot of light bulbs and a lot of sleepless nights, right? So that was, you know, no sleep, lots of caffeine. Well, I mean, in digital, you're always taking a chance if you're doing something new. I, I use the term sometimes when I'm talking to planners and buyers. I'll call display traditional digital, and it almost seems like an oxymoron a bit. Like, it, it doesn't have that fit there. Uh, but let's jump ahead from uh, modem. Sorry, I, I skipped over them. Uh, the DAC group. Yeah, so so here's what, what was kind of interesting. Um you know, at Modem, and just to give you a little bit of color on, on what was going on, you know, this was the the uh, the dot com bust was about to happen. So we're talking like nineteen ninety nine or so. We're talking yeah. about two thousand. Two thousand, right? So I remember I was with uh, with a friend, and if he ever listens to this, he'll laugh because he'll remember we were in New York City at a conference, and it was all about the digital space, obviously, and uh, and they did it in Broadway format. Remember, there was money, uh, like, falling from the sky. Oh, I heard the valuations were crazy back then. Insane, right? So every party was just, you know, so luxurious and and amazing. And and at the end of this conference, this one conference we were at, they literally shot money out of a cannon. What? And people were on their hands and knees, like, grown-ups were on their hands and knees picking up $20 bills, $5 bills. Like, it was... Unbel- I've never Not seen even anything like that. Not $1 bills. No, they, they, they were high rollers. Totally. And, and so I, I kind of liken that to the musicians on the Titanic, right? Because it was, it was this really awkward, weird, luxurious scene while the ship was totally sinking. Like the big, the big, big ship was sinking. And so um, I came back to Toronto and, and, you know, things were already starting to, to look a little bit weird. You know, um, you know, some of our startups just simply disappeared overnight and businesses just started shutting down. Some of our competing agencies just like shut their doors. People were getting laid off all the time. So there was websites dedicated to talking about, you know, who's been laid off today type of thing. And I, I I can't even say the name of the company because it's swearing. But anyways, um, (laughs) yeah, it's it's just, you know, F-U-C-K'd. Um, company was one of them, and it was just like this such a great website. This isn't governed by the CRTC, so you can say whatever you okay, want. Okay, well, fucked company was one of the, <laughs> the the websites that were people. It was kind of like our Facebook, right? So you'd come, you'd wake up, and I'd be like, "Okay, are we laid off yet? Or like, is our company bust yet?" We're going to stop it right there, but come back next week for part two of our chat with Sonia Carino, president of the Interactive Advertising Bureau of Canada. For more episodes, go to SoundCloud.com/slash Media People Podcast and follow me on Twitter at Vic Genova.